to you all. This uh, last week, uh, and it sounds like my life is a roller coaster of uh, lots of bad stuff, and it isn't, but uh, my hot water tank went this week in my house, and uh, so we had a guy in Friday, and he put in a new one, and uh, I was gone all day yesterday, and I came home, and I walked in the door, and I could smell natural gas. So I talked to everybody in the house, and I said, do you guys smell that? And most of them said no. And uh, if you are aware or familiar, when stuff stinks around us, we get used to it. Kind of reminds me of, well, I won't say. In high school, some guys would come. And anyway, we won't go into that. Uh, But sometimes we get so used to the stink that we don't notice it anymore. So sure enough, we went to where the installation was done and it smelled really bad. We had the guy come back last night. There was a natural gas leak and uh, he fixed it and stopped it and everything's good now. But I tell you that story because there's a lot of us that have, we know there's something wrong in our souls. Uh, we know there's a stink going on and, and it's been a long time and you just have almost gotten used to the smell. And I want to start out this sermon before I pray by saying, God cares for your soul. God cares for your soul. And he doesn't want your soul tainted and dark and black and messed up. He wants you to be pure. And he loves you so much. He loves you so much that he's going to work in your life in circumstances, in discipline, in love, so that you can become more of who he created you to be. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, as we look at the book of Acts chapter 5, we're about to read the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And honestly, in our, well, we call ourselves probably left-leaning society, where we want everybody to be accepted and everybody to be loved and everybody's choices are okay and, and we are in this kind of uh, weird kind of world and realm right now and it, it feels like, at least to me and maybe not to some youngers, it feels to me like things are getting darker. And I know when I look in people's eyes that their souls are tainted, their hearts are heavy, there is an odor going on in their lives, and they've gotten so used to it, they don't see it, they don't see the destruction around them, they don't see the hurt and pain, and God, my prayer today as we go into your word, you will reveal, you will point out, and you will lovingly help us to be overcomers. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. So turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 5. Last week, you may remember uh, the church at that point, very early, young church. And as we got to chapter 4, the church began to become so generous. In fact, the text said that nobody was without need. In other words, everybody was taken care of. Everybody had food. Everybody had clothing. This was a loving, caring community. 
And then we get to Acts chapter 5, and you're going to see with Ananias and Sapphira a kind of different kind of attitude creeping in. One that was very obsessed and concerned with how they looked, and they were willing to do it at the cost and expense of others. They were going to live a fake life. And I just want to challenge you today, beware of the fake life. So this week I asked a few people, I said, when you read the story of Ananias and Sapphira, what's the tell? What's the story? What's the big idea? Almost all that I asked answered the question, what's Ananias and Sapphira about? They will all say it's, don't lie. Don't lie. And I could probably end the sermon now. If you got that point, you're doing really well. But I want to point out there's a lot more behind the story. So turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 5. And just as we get going, I had a friend in Regina years ago. He had an 18-year-old son that was off the rails. And some of you have had the pain of a child who's off the rails. In other words, they're living a life that is not the life that you raised them to live. Maybe they're into drugs and alcohol, they're sleeping around, uh, they're angry, they're aggressive. In this guy's case, the father that I'm speaking of, uh, his wife would be crying almost every day when he got home because this 18-year-old had said something. He had two twin boys about five years old at a time. They were beginning to exhibit the rebellious, nasty behavior of the 18-year-old. And the father came to a decision one day for the sake of his home and the sake of the 18-year-old, he felt he had one choice. Now, this is a human trying to figure this out, and I want to tell you, God's way better at this than me. But this father took his 18-year-old son, drove him downtown Regina, handed him $100 and said, you are no longer welcome in my home. And I remember he said, the son said, like, I can't come back tonight. He said, nope. Tomorrow, nope, I don't want you back. You're done. The son drove away from that moment and he said, I wept and I wept and I wept and for days on end I would go down Regina to see if I could catch a glimpse of my son. This turned out in a good way. Last I heard about 15 years ago, this son was uh, leading worship in a church. And so not only did this father rescue the son, but he rescued his family. A lot of us struggle with God disciplining us and reaching into our lives because we've had somebody in our past that was in authority that said they loved us, said they did these things out of love, but you knew. Whether it was sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, you know it was not about you and it was not about loving you. And so you can't imagine. I'm an adult now. Nobody's going to discipline me. Nobody's going to tell me what's right and wrong. I am not going there. I'm not letting anybody do that again. You have not comprehended or understood God's pure love for you. As we read today's Bible selection, a lot of it might not seem fair. And it may not even add up to a loving God that you've been told about. However, keep in mind the big picture. God is a lot smarter and a lot more loving than you and I. 
Acts chapter 5, starting at verse 1, and I want you to notice one thing. The fake life Ananias was trying to live. Acts chapter 5, verse 1. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said... Now let me tell you about Peter. Peter was the kind of guy that had such a walk with God. He heard the presence of God. The Holy Spirit spoke to him so intimately that he had insight. In fact, he was so godly. Legend says people would wait for his shadow to pass by and they'd be healed. This is Peter. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart? Did you know that Satan wants to trip you up and he whispers lies into your mind all the time? Him and his followers. This is not unique to this passage. Jesus declared in John 13, 2 that the devil was putting evil in the heart of Judas. In the Old Testament, you'll see it over and over again. I want to warn you that Satan will want to trip you up. Most often he's quite sly and careful, but usually you can pick up Satan because it, it's got a little evil twist. It's a get even twist. It's a, it's a I gotta deal with that person. It, it comes with kind of this angry nastiness about it. And in this case, it was pretty clear because it was completely straight up dishonest. It was all about appearances. It was about pride. Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? And I love this. Challenge him right up to his face. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? Well, the text just said that Satan put the thought in his head. You have not lied just to the human, being, human beings, but to God. You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. Please understand, for the record, the lie wasn't just to people. It wasn't just faking before people. It wasn't trying to be something that he was not before people. Especially in this case, it has always been understood that when we give it the church, we give to God. Yeah, the money helps our FID ministry. It helps keep the lights on. But you are giving to God when you give in the church. And coming in and doing this fake thing, putting the money at the apostles' feet and saying, this is all the money from the land I just sold. But the big story in this text, the big story in this text is that God is concerned with our character. He created us for good works, did he not? And in fact, the life that we often live, the sinful life that we live, is not who God created us to be. That's our fallen nature. That's our selfish nature. God wants more, has more for us. Understand that through this character development that God wants to do in you, we are always filled with his best at heart. 
Listen to these two warnings. In 1 Timothy we read, I also want, and by the way, these two warnings are often misused all the time. They're misused in the sense of that people like to use it as a club to beat over judging people with how they dress and look. But you need to look at what's the big point in it. I, want, I also want women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes. So what he's talking about, and it comes in verse 10, but with good deeds. In other words, don't be fake. Do you remember Jesus looked at the Pharisees and he said to them, you're like whitewashed tombs. Now, the Pharisees were really religious. They used to walk along with sackcloth and ashes. They would walk along with boxes on their head. They would walk along and be praying away and beating themselves with, with a whip on their back. I mean, they were super religious. And Jesus said to them, you're like whitewashed tombs. Now, if you don't know what a whitewashed tomb is, it is a nice grave that is whitewashed with paint on the outside, and Jesus says on the inside it's got rotting flesh. So don't be fake. First Peter chapter 3, the other kind of story of the same encouragement, your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or frying clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self. The unfading of beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Friends, God desires our hearts to be changed. We are not to be whitewashed tombs. We're supposed to be beautiful on the outside where it comes from the inside and not something fake, laying it at the apostles' feet, pretending we're something we're not, and just having this rotting flesh on the inside. So let's read on in Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5 verse 5 goes on to say, When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. Now, I want to point out the text doesn't necessarily say that God killed him. Although within context and what we're about to read, you can probably imply that. And you're going to go, our left-leaning society, oh my goodness, do you mean God killed somebody in the early church? Now, I thought that was the Old Testament God that would smite people and the New Testament God, he's just all loving and soft and squishy, isn't he? I want to challenge you in that thinking a little bit. You see, God cares so much about his church, his family. He cares so much about your soul that he's going to do, what does, do whatever it takes. He fell down and died, and listen to this, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Oh, in this part, I love it. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, carried him out, and buried him. It sounds really abrupt. Was the church just trying to get rid of him? I don't know. And again, it doesn't say that God killed him, but I think in essence, you know, did he die of embarrassment, of shame? We're not really sure, but we know that it was a consequence, one way or another, to the deceit and the lie and the falsehoodness 
there's a new word for you, that he did. I think we need to understand God's discipline a lot better. As I said, we, we often approach it in what discipline we've experienced in our lives. And that discipline just isn't that great. It comes out of impurity. It comes out of wrong motives. But God isn't like that. Hebrews 12, 4, I want to read this to you. Listen carefully. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? Think about my guy dropping his son off in Regina. It says... My son and all that daughter, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes thee because the Lord disciplines the one who he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. And I would say if you have fallen into the trap of saying that I'm just gonna keep sinning, God's grace will cover me and you're not getting disciplined, Logically and theologically, I'd wonder if you are a child of God. Because, friends, there are both natural consequences to sin, and I believe there's spiritual, supernatural consequences to sin. Natural consequences, you spend too much money, you're going to go bankrupt. Natural consequences. And I believe there's supernatural consequences to sin. Why do we struggle with our loving God actually caring about our character? Why do we struggle with that? When God disciplines us to get our minds around this, to even think clearly about this, we need to first and foremost understand that God is love. Read the book of 1 John. You can read the whole thing. Chapter 1 is just, you know, if you claim to walk in the light and you're not in the light, the truth isn't in you. Then you get to chapter 4 and it's like this wonderful description of how much God loves you. And if God is in you, loving you, then the text says you'll love other people. Oh, we heard somebody up here, Dave, just say something about a lot of young people leave the church because of the toxicity in it. Shame on us. I have wondered for, I was going to say for 2,000 years, but I'm not that old, for a lot of years, how the church survived 2,000 years. I think today's text answers it. Because God's in the business of purifying the church and he's in the business of letting your soul be healed, your soul restored. God is love and, and secondly, sin is not what we were meant to be. We're not to be sinners. It's not what he created you to be. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Why do we struggle with this so much? The story in Acts 5 goes on in verse 7 to say, about three hours later, the second half of the story, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. Remember, they just up and buried the guy? Peter asked her, tell me. This is her opportunity to repent, by the way. Tell me, is this price the price you and Ananias got for the land? She had a chance, but here's what she answered. Yes, she said. 
That is the price. Peter said to her, Peter who walked with God so closely, who uh, people would wait for his shadow to go by, Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? When I read that, if you haven't understood, there are passages of Scripture that talk about the unpardonable sin, and and it has to do with the Holy Spirit. And I kind of wonder if this is one of them. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the Spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the man who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And here comes the statement again. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Now if I was God and I'm starting a new fledging movement, I would want that seed to be pure and right and correct and I would do exactly what he did. I would let the church understand that God loves us so much, he wants us transformed, he wants our souls healed, he wants us to understand the lies that Satan has made us buy into, and he wants you to have freedom. He wants you to experience his love. In fact, the scriptures say, and I pointed this out last Sunday, that when God convicts you, it leads to an openness and a repentance, and it leads to life. When Satan condemns you, it just makes you feel awful. Again, fear entered the early church. And my first point, lying, deceit, is bad. In her case, she had a husband who was leading her astray. And the Bible clearly says, do not be misled, for bad company corrupts good character. And I would encourage you, maybe you're married to that kind of person, I would pray a lot for them that they can smell the stench in their lives. I will never, as a pastor, say that God killed that person because of that sin or I gave them over to the Lord and so then this happened to them. But I do sit back and wonder, and I'm going to address the elephant in the room for a moment. Does God deal with people like this today? My wife's grandpa, and I've told you the story before, but I'll just give a quick recap. He told me a story that when he was in one church, he had three men that just wreaked havoc in the church. They were controlling. They were judgmental. They were nasty. They tried to get rid of my wife's grandfather out of the church. And so my grandfather telling me the story said, so I did what Romans 12 said. I gave him over to the Lord. And I love that because in Romans 12, as it says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. If you give somebody over to the Lord and you're wrong, what will happen to them? Nothing. If you're right. In fact, when I give people over to the Lord, I often will say, have mercy on them, God. I know you care about their souls. I I know you care about the purity of the church. Have mercy on them. So yes, I do believe God deals with people this way. So Grandpa Cyril tells me about these three men that within 10 years, two had died of mysterious weird diseases. One, I think, had a heart attack. The other one died of cancer or something really quick. The third one, in year 10, after this all had happened, came to Grandpa Cyril and apologized in tears. 
And then he, he then began to tell Grandpa Cyril the discipline God took him through. He lost his business. His wife left him. His kids wouldn't talk to him. And he finally got to the point of brokenness and despair. He could smell the stench in his own life, and he repented to the Lord. And the Lord, as he was talking to the Lord, he said, what else should I do? And he said, you go apologize to Grandpa. In my first church, I had a lady. I was about the fifth pastor, and she was about, we were about the fifth church that she had done her, well, we'll call not-so-godly stuff. And about, I think I read about eight months after I had left that church, she died suddenly of a heart attack. And I'm not going to again say that God judged those three men or that God judged this woman, but I look and I go, hmm, I think God does deal today with sin. I think God does keep the church pure. And you're going, well, what about Hitler? Well, think about the end of Hitler. Yeah, he wreaked havoc for a lot of years. He was a deceiver. He was a liar. Did he live a great life in the end? Did he die a just, honorable death? Where do you think he is today? I am convinced that God still deals with sin, and he is so merciful. Praise God he's merciful on me, because I've lived a fake life. I, after the first service, somebody came up to me and said, thank you, I, I just was under such conviction the whole service. Of all the times I tried to present this fake person to other people, I just read yesterday of a very prominent evangelical writer who went off the rails theologically, kind of went really, really liberal. Started saying that the Bible doesn't speak against this sin, it doesn't speak against that sin. God is just love and he loves everybody and everybody's going to heaven. This person suddenly died and I sat there going, hmm, I wonder. I mean, they were 35 years old. I wonder, and some of you who read enough probably figured out who it is, but I'm not going to say that's what God was doing, but I wonder. I think God still deals with sin. I think God still wants your soul to be pure. I think God's got good works for you. And what's holding us back is we have been convinced that we can just keep sinning like we've never sinned before. Like, just keep it up. God will forgive me. I'll just keep asking. 70 times 7, God's just going to keep forgiving me. Friends, there's consequences. Did you know that the scripture says that our sins will be visited on the third and fourth generation onto your wife or your husband, your children, your grandchildren? Is that what we want? I, I wonder the statistics they just took about young people walking away from the church. I wonder if it's because there's so much unrepented sin in our churches. There's so much unrepented sin in me. I told you last Sunday how I've been trying to work on some character development and I've been asking other people, my wife and those close to me, what's a recurring thing? What's a behavior that I keep doing? And I want to be clear. I don't think God will come up to you with a list of 30 things to work on. My understanding, when I read the scripture, God's going to give you one character trait he'd like you to overcome. And this is where it gets so exciting, guys, because listen to this. He's going to fill you with the Holy Spirit. He's going to say, yes, you got this problem. You're going to go, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm bad. I shouldn't have done that. And God's going to go, I'm going to hold your hand now, and I'm going to help you out. God can't wait for people. I mean, he'll go after the one sheep that's lost. God wants you to grow in your character. He wants you to be pure. And don't buy the lie of Satan that you can go on sinning like there is no tomorrow. 
Oh, don't confuse me. I'm not talking about perfection because I think when I finally get to glory, when that seed of Anthony is in the ground and Jesus calls me up at that trumpet, that's when purity will come in my life. But from here on in, I want to become more and more like Jesus. He wants my soul to be pure. He wants the lies to be put out. He wants me to see people as he sees people. You may say to me, you're striking fear in the church. That's not biblical. Read verse 11 again. Read the previous verse. Read uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, written to the church in Laodicea. Same words. Repent. Be fearful. I heard a story this week in some of the circles I travel in where one person began to say, I used to just walk in such fear of God. And they said, it's kind of because of the past I've had. People were always trying to get me to do this or do that. And it wasn't with pure motives. And I used to look at God that way. But now, now this person said, I've, I've started to understand his love. And I've started to understand when consequences of my sin or God's disciplining me, I go, hey, thank you, God. I want to be pure. I want to be whole. I don't want my soul reeking like natural gas or my soul smelling like rotting flesh. I want to become more and more like Jesus. Let me give you a little bit of homework this week. I've done this passage before and I want to do it again because I think it's one of the best ones to go to. Go to Galatians 5 and you'll see the sins of the flesh listed. Read them through and ask God, is this reveal anything about me, you know? Dissension, divisions, hatred, orgies, drunkenness. Is, is this me? And remember, you need the Holy Spirit to talk to you because you've been living with it so long your nose doesn't smell it anymore. And you need to ask people around you, hey, this list, is there anything? That, and by the way, there's at least five or six lists of sinners and what sins can do. And I gave that list last week, but take a look at that. But when the sin is pointed out, this is just a little bit of advice from the counseling world, Christian counseling world. Don't obsess on the sin. Oh, yeah, you probably should repent. You should probably say, I'm not going to do it anymore. But what you need to obsess on is what God wants you to be. So read a little further in Galatians. Look at the fruit of the Spirit and go, God, do that in my life. Okay, I'm struggling with, I don't know, gossip. I'm struggling with hatred, I'm starting with unforgiveness, whatever it is. Uh, God, uh, help it, fill me and let love, joy, peace, let that be me. I'm going to long after that. And and in the counseling world, they call this redirection. And, And whether you're struggling with smoking, for example, they will often tell you, well, redirect that desire to smoking with something that's healthy, you know, like eating celery or something like that. But redirect your desires and your, your pain and your hurt and redirect it into who God is, desires you to be. The sinless person, the, the person that's going to have good deeds, the person that's going to have a heart that's pure, the person that's just going to come. And you might dress like somebody that doesn't look so nice, but we're going to see you. And, and I, this is a little confession of my selfish, self-centered teenage years. I would see a girl walk up and had my heart would begin to pitter and patter And then she'd open her mouth and I'd go, ooh, that's pretty ugly. Or this girl would come up and she'd look really plain and wouldn't do anything for my heart. And then she'd open her mouth and I'd go, whew, is that person beautiful? 
You see, that's what God wants. He wants your soul to be so clean and pure that you are attractive to people. Uh, you, are, you are a person that's growing. Uh, people often don't care if you're perfect. They want you to be honest. They don't want you to be fake. They want you to be teachable. They want you to hear them. And God desires you to be perfect and pure. And again, don't get me wrong, I'm not talking perfection. But never obsess on the weakness, obsess on the weakness, obsess on what God wants you to be. Redirect your thinking. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, it is very clear that you are a God of love. And I think for some of us here, when we talk about discipline, we, we don't even want to go there because we've had such bad examples of it in our lives. Uh, maybe we've been a bad example ourselves. And I think for most of us, we need to understand who you are as a loving God. And you care deeply for the church. You care deeply for individuals. And you want us to have changed hearts and changed lives. And I am so excited, God, with some of the tools you've given us as a church recently, uh, whether it is church renewal or whether it is soul care, Holy Spirit weekend. And God, we're going to be moving ahead really soon with uh, some beautiful lessons, training and teaching people to hear God. And, and God, I'm so excited. We, we just had 90 people go through soul care. And soul care redirected them. It showed them the stink and the rot in their lives. And the, so many were able to get free. I, I think there isn't a staff person on our staff that hasn't said, yeah, I had stuff I dealt with. And I feel so much better. I, I feel a lightness in my soul. I, I feel a purity. I, there's a cleanness of the air. And so, Holy Spirit, would you do a work in us? As we read the scriptures, would the scriptures come out loud and clear and speak to us where we are off the path, where we are causing a ruckus, we are causing a division, we are causing a mess whether it's just in our own lives, in our marriage, in our families, in our church, in our workplace, whatever it may be. And, and God, may we have this kind of pure heart, uh, this, this life that's full of good deeds and good works. And not because we're earning our way to heaven, but because your presence, your Holy Spirit is so powerfully in us. And God, this is so incredible. Uh, you point out our weaknesses, and then you take our hand. You fill us with your Holy Spirit, and you let the love, joy, peace, patience, kind of, you just, just overwhelm us with goodness. And as I heard a 60-year-old man, even in the last few days, say, I am more excited about Jesus today than I've ever been. And I keep hearing that story over and over again. I see a smile on their faces. I see a glint in their eyes. And when they open their mouths, I hear Jesus. And God, you want to do a work in all of our hearts that way. You want our souls to be pure. And you're still in the business of purifying your church. You're still in the business of calling us to repentance, calling us to growth, calling us to have souls that are right and true and correct. I think all of us, God, have had that issue where, or that experience where we confess we stole a cookie from the cookie jar and how good that felt. You want to just overwhelm us with your presence and your power. So many of us, God, have been living lies where we have been convinced that we can't overcome, and that is a lie of Satan. And we as a church want to take a stand and say, uh, we're with you. 
We want you to be overcomers. We believe that Jesus, we believe when we pray that he's gonna do something miraculous in your life. And we've seen a God in rising above. People who have had their lives off and get to the lowest of low they could be and you've taken their lives and you've restored them, you've purified them, you've changed their souls and God, you wanna do that in our lives here today. And Holy Spirit, would you reveal to us when Satan has been putting in our head out and out lies that are dark and evil and nasty and we've chased down pathways that are just divisive and, and uh, uh hard on our souls and we're filled with bitterness and anger and God, would you purify us? Would you take our hand? Would you overwhelm us with your presence? And as we sing this final song, God, Holy Spirit, fall upon us. We open up our hands, both figuratively and spiritually, and we say, God, enter into new places in us. Reveal to us any darkness so that we can root it out, so that we can become more who you've created us to be, filled with the fruit, filled with the love, filled with good works. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen.